0: Welcome to the Ponder A New Podcast. My name is Pastor Rob Myallis. and this season we're looking at the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. Specifically today, the second chapter of that book in which we learn about the Garden of Eden, but we're going to learn about so much more, like does God have fingernails? Do humans have souls? And what does paradise look like after all? So without further ado, here we go i see trees of green red roses too i
1: see them blue for me and you and i think to myself in the day that wonderful. the lord god made the earth and the heavens when no plant of the field was yet in the earth and no herb of the field had yet sprung up For the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was no one to till the ground, but a stream would rise from the earth and water the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord God made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flows out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it divides and becomes four branches. The name of the first is Pishon. It is the one that flows around the whole land of Havilah where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Bdellium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gion. It is the one that flows around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Tigris, which flows east of Assyria, and the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to till it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall die.
0: You do not need to have a fancy professor with many degrees in linguistics and Bible to point out the Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 have some pretty blatant disagreements, right? You've got Genesis 2. It's in the day that the Lord created instead of the seven days. And the animals follow the creation of the human. And you also linguistically have a different name for God. They clearly are stories that sort of come from, have a different genesis, if you will. So let's make the not-too-large rational assumption that the people who put together the Bible understood this obvious contradiction, yet chose to have these two stories um, open up and form their foundation for the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and really the whole uh, Hebrew Bible. And, and they're aware of this and these contradictions, and yet they put them together. Why is that? Well, I think what's going on is that in Hebrew, you don't rhyme on sounds, because, again, sounds in Hebrew, uh, there's not most words end in a similar sound. Uh, so you don't rhyme on sounds, you rhyme on meaning. So, for instance, in Psalm 51, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew within me a right spirit. Or Psalm 23, The Lord leads me beside still waters. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Again, they're, they're saying something similar, but they're using different images. And I could go through countless psalms and prophetic uh, passages and show that there's this, again, this Hebrew rhyming of putting two images next to each other which use different vocabulary but get at a similar meaning. And I believe that Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 use different vocabulary. They use different words, but they're driving towards a similar understanding. And that is the beautiful intended relationship between God and humans and creation. And they're getting at these fundamental questions of who we are and where we came from and you know what is our purpose. In the first chapter of Genesis, the God that we hear about is like a cosmic conductor who's sort of bringing all of these grand pieces of, of creation into some beautiful symphony of, of color, of light, of animals, of sky, of sea, of everything. But in Genesis 2, we get a very different image of God. And The image of God is, I almost picture God in Genesis 2 wearing overalls. And kind of just walking around and, and willing to get God's hands dirty, right? There, there's sort of dirt under God's fingernails in Genesis 2. Uh, for it, it tells us that the Bible uh, tells us that the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground. And just that willingness to get, to get dirt uh, in the fingers, and, and I think that then, can, so this is this beautiful connection now between God, creation, and humanity, right? God digging down into the, the dirt of the soil to create humans. And that connection is linguistically, uh, we don't see it in, Hebrew, in English, but the word for uh, man, there is Adam, right? in Hebrew, like Adam. And the word for ground or dust there is Adamah. And so there's this literal way in which the, the Adam comes from the Adamah. Maybe in the same way you could say the human comes from the humus, or the, uh, the hummus sounds like the chickpea thing. But um, So th- th- there's this connection between the word for human and dirt in, in Hebrew uh, that we miss. But so God is, is calling forth here from, from this. And I've been inspired by this image of God forming humans uh, out of the dirt um there's a, fa- there's a famous sculpture a sculptor whose name is Rodin, R-O-D-I-N. And he, over his life, did a number of sculptures of uh, God creating uh, out of the dust the human. And it's, it's just really powerful to sort of see God's hands sort of forming uh, this, this human. And, and, and for me, I have found a great comfort in the idea, as much as I like the cosmic conductor image of God, I have found great comfort in the image of, of God down to earth. For this is the God that we come to know throughout Scripture. For instance, it's a down-to-earth God that wrestles with Jacob in Genesis chapter 32. But really for us as Christians, we've come to know a down-to-earth God in Jesus Christ. So it's, it's uh, Jesus who is, is willing to get his hands dirty as he puts his hands on people to touch them to forgive them, or when he has to spit it and, and make mud to 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 give sight to the blind as he sort of rubs them uh, with his with his dirty fingers, then. It's Jesus who gets down and begins in the dirt to write the sins of those who would have cast the first stones to the woman caught in adultery. It's, it's Jesus who will uh, be down in the dirt of, of, the, uh, of the garden, the garden of Gethsemane, praying, Lord, take this cup away from me. It's Jesus who will have his cross carried in the dirt as he's walking along tired to his own crucifixion. And it's Jesus who, after the resurrection, is actually tending to the garden. So we have a very down-to-earth God in Jesus Christ. And, and so we see this now back in, in, in already in Genesis 2 of a God not abhorring the world, not afraid of the world's problems and, and chaos and dirt, but willing to get in there in the thick of the, the fray, so to speak. So I, I really love this image of a, of a down-to-earth God. And how does God create this human after God has formed out of the ground? Well, it says that God breathed into the nostrils of the the Adam, and the breath of life. And the man became a living being. So there's some breath of life that is given to Adam. But Adam at this point is a living being. The breath itself was not a living thing. The dust itself was not a living thing. Only this combination is a living thing. In Hebrew, there's not really much of an idea of a soul that is not in the body. That's a really uh, classical kind of Greek mythology, uh, really articulated then pretty well by by Plato and even Aristotle, this idea that there's some soul kind of tethered to the body, sort of the body as a nuisance. And and really, any sort of theology that degrades the body as in itself holy does not come from the Old Testament. (laughs) It does not come really from the New Testament or the Jewish mind. Uh, It is far more of, um, it'll end up being a sort of a a more actually pagan theology that really degrades and doesn't feel comfortable with the body. For in, in the Hebrew mind, the human is the, the breathing body. You need a body to have, you, you, there is no soul, there is nothing human again detached from this body. And that's why you, you, the, the, ultimately the New Testament will push beyond the idea of a heaven where we go, but it will push into the idea of a bodily resurrection. Again, this, the fact that there is no soul right here in the beginning, that, that the body is integral to creation, is why the end game of the Bible is a new creation in which there is the resurrection of the dead. And that's what Paul argues so forcefully for in the end of Corinthians chapter 15 when he's saying, look, if there isn't a resurrection, there's got to be a new body, there's got to be transformation. So I just want to say there's this long arc in Scripture that begins right here, and it makes the case that the human is, uh, the body is essential to what it means to be a human. There is no disembodied soul. Um, or there is in Greek <laughs> philosophy and mythology, but there's not really in the New Testament or in the Old Testament. We're, it's a more integrative view. It's a, it's a view that, that views the body as made by God, as holy in itself, if not even one could argue, in the image uh, of God. So, so the body is in itself a holy thing made by God and, and, and viewed as a temple, viewed as a vessel of God, and, and again, there is no soul that's pure and a body that's dirty. That's not biblical teaching. Okay, end of story. You can't even argue with me because it's a podcast. <laughs> okay, so, so now that we uh, have, have gotten that all straight, that there is no, again, the idea of the soul is not what's biblical. The idea of a human is what's biblical. And that what's going to be restored in Jesus Christ is in our full humanity, not just our soul. Okay, so now that we've gotten, like, we've fixed all of these uh, sort of philosophical issues and, and de-paganified ourselves, which, again, is just so fascinating that, that, that the people view that Christianity was an assault on the body and paganism was a triumph of it, but it was actually the exact opposite. Christianity claims that finally God has invested fully in the body project so much that God will remake the body, that Jesus was risen physically from the dead. Okay, I think I'm beating a, a dead horse here. What does paradise look like to you? What would your paradise be? I think for many of us, it it might look something like Eden, but you know there probably would be yeah, some good vegetation, you know, food aplenty. Hopefully, some you know good friends or something. But again, you know, what is what does paradise look like to you? In Scripture, there's some emphasis on what the Garden of Eden looks like, but there's actually not a lot of detail about it. You know, we know that there's trees, Uh, in fact there's two specific trees, and we know that um, there's, it sort of gives these uh, rivers sort of locations, but we really don't know very much about what it looks like. And why is that? Well, I think what it is is because what the Bible actually wants to talk about in terms of paradise is not the specifics of visually what it looks like, but spiritually what it's about, and, and really to kind of think what claims does it make, Genesis chapter 2, about the fundamental relationship of us and God and the created order, the rest of creation, and that's where it actually spends most of its time describing what's happening. So, for example, in Genesis chapter 2, we learn that we don't know all their names, but we just know that out of the ground the Lord God made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Well, that reveals a huge ton to us. Because what that tells us is that in the Garden of Eden, there's plenty of food. Adam doesn't have to worry about having enough to eat. Right? In the in the the way that life ought to be, there isn't scarcity, there isn't drought, there's there's enough for us. And the second thing is that they were pleasing to the sight. It was beautiful. And, and part of creation is meant to be beautiful, and then the job of humanity then is to observe this beauty and in observing it to praise our Creator. This is something that gets pretty close to an ability that humans have that other animals don't. You don't see a lot of other animals looking at the sunset in artistic awe, the way that humans are in awe of what it is. Humans have the capacity for awe and wonder before the rest of creation. So so, what are we learning already here? Well, what does it mean to be in the garden? What does it mean to be in paradise, the way that life ought to work? Well, first of all, that humans should honor our Creator by celebrating the beauty of creation. And that secondly, we're going to be taken care of. We are not the Creator, we are the created, and we are to be taken care of by God. Yet, there is also this seemingly bizarre, incongruous, strange thing that God says in verse verse 15, we're told that God took the man and put him in the garden, that sounds good, to till it and to keep it, that work was actually part of the original plan. Work is not a bad thing. Work is not at first a curse. Work is a gift. It's a gift that, that's, that this is what it means to be in the image of God. We work, we tend, we use the gifts that God has given us for other people. And I can tell you this is a lifelong need we have, even among retirees, for us to use that which we have for some purpose beyond ourselves. And that can become uh, distorted, it can become just oriented for the wrong things, or it can become too stressful. But there is a fundamental human need to, to work to create something, to use, again, the skills and gifts which we have. So in the original, in the ideal, in the garden in paradise, we are working, but uh, it's not by the sweat of our brow, and it's simply an expression of our being made in the image of God. And lastly, then, God commands the human, you may freely eat of every tree in the garden. And then there's instructions which trees not to eat. Two things here. First of all, God is giving uh, commands, and, and that means that God has a sense that there always was sort of a, a need for order, that there, we ourselves as humans, even in the garden, couldn't figure it all out. There needed to be a divinely imposed structure on us. But what I, what I, want, I, what I really want to drive at, and, and, and hopefully sticks in, is that God spoke to Adam directly. In the created order, you have in, in the ideal, you have a God that is not needing to be mediated, but can speak directly to the human. And and so you think about this this God then, who's who's literally in God's fingernails forming the human out of dust, and then speaks, and, and then provides. So what a what a beautiful, generous image of God as the Creator, and then Adam as the created. Is, is doing the work of God in, in, in his work in the image of tending to that which God has given. And then there's uh, this awe then before creation. As creation is, uh, glorifies God, but humans participate in that glory by, by just reflecting on it and praising God for it. Now there's one other part of the garden, and that is um, Eve. Eve. And we're going to get to her next time on the podcast as we sort of fill this out. But I wanted to reflect with you today um, on on why Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 sort of have this conflict between them. And then uh, this really down-to-earth God burst our bubble on the thought that humans have souls, that it's actually the whole package that God cares about. And then to start to flesh out a little bit, what is this paradise? What does this relationship uh, really look like? Uh, between us God and and the world so hopefully that's enough for you and I hope you uh, go out and and can relish this day uh, the the world that that God has has made and uh, give praise then to your creator